Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome. We have been in a series the past few weeks. What's it called? Content warning, correct. You've been paying attention for three weeks, four weeks now. Great job. Um, we've been talking about the birds and the bees and other flying creatures and um, the, the things that, you know, some things that are hard to talk about. And I, and I hope, I, I've enjoyed it, uh, digging into the stuff with you. I hope you've learned something. I have learned something. Um, I hope that we were able to take some things that, like, maybe you were told are bad and put some, like, biblical wisdom behind them. And this is why, like, the tr- you'll hear that in church. Um, it helped me with some of that. So I'm, I hope that it helped you as well. Tonight we are ending our series um, and with some Q&R and some miscellaneous things. Um, and someone questioned me about Q&R over Q&A, um, and I wanted to address that. It's because I don't want to promise you an answer to your questions, because some of your questions are very hard. But what I can, I can promise you is a response, so I can respond to things. Um, like I said, uh, the mis- miscellaneous stuff, is, there's been some things that didn't quite fit into the, you know, three, the past three weeks that I wanted to make sure we touched on, but we otherwise didn't have time or they didn't fit in like the outline. And uh, luckily we had this night to cover them. So, and I'm sitting down to keep it cash. So, uh, and the most casual thing about it is mentioning it, bringing it up. So um, we didn't get a ton of questions. I want to mention that uh, because this topic is tough and it can just seem like safer to just not ask a question because it's a, a minefield of possible, of, of possible embarrassing things. Um, so I wanted to say if you, maybe you regret not asking a question, if you felt like, you know, you, you weren't able to do that, uh, feel free to shoot me a text or a Discord message or an Instagram PM or whatever, or just like talk to me like a person. That's fine too. Um, because I'd love to have a conversation with you. And if you're, you know, if you're up for it, let's talk. I've decided to frame our conversation tonight um, in the same way we framed the past three weeks um, because everything we're going to talk about is going to fit into these three categories. So we're revisiting the categories of dating and romance, sexual integrity, and gender identity. Um, so we'll just be, you know, we'll just go through each of those and uh, hopefully we're not here all night because I love talking about this stuff because it's... <laughs> because it's so exciting and fun. Um, let's start at the beginning. I, just as a side note, some people heard this story. The first time I ever preached on like any sexual integrity or anything, my mom was visiting. <laughs> she was in the room. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. She's not here tonight, so it's a little bit better. <laughs> uh, so we're going to start with dating and romance. Ease into it. Uh, one of the biggest things I wanted to come back to about dating and romance was singleness, um, because I think it was the first week uh, I mentioned that I thought singleness was overrated or underrated, that I love being married and like I wouldn't change it. But really, I think that like we don't talk about singleness enough. Um, but the Bible talks about it a lot. So we should talk about it. Uh, someone asked this question, is everyone supposed to get married? And I think the biblical answer clearly is no. Like not everyone is supposed to get married. Um, I personally think that too many people get married and that a lot of people are in failing marriages because they weren't supposed to get married. They were not gifted to be married. And we're going to talk about what that means. Um, so remember, 1 Corinthians is a letter from Paul to the church in the city of Corinth. And Corinth had issues with sexual integrity. They had problems here. And Paul addressed some of those problems in his letters. Uh, 1 Corinthians, remember, we got our definition of biblical marriage in here, right? Uh, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Uh, we said that marriage should be lifelong, exclusive, and heterosexual. Uh, he says just a few verses later in uh, verses 6 or 7, he says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I love when Paul clarifies where 
the, thus saith the Lord ends. And this is probably a good idea begins. I try to do that as well. So Paul does it here. This, I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. <laughs> Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Super interesting. So what's so great about being single, Paul? Later on in the same verse or in the same chapter in this letter, he says, oh man, it's small. I'll read, I'll read it to you though. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. So marriage is distracting. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Paul says when you're single, you have fewer distractions. Obviously, right? Like we talked about uh, somebody who gets a romantic partner and then ditches all their friends. Because <laughs> we only have so much time. We can only invest in so many things. Um, and you can, like when you're single, like Paul, he's like, when you're single, you can be 100% devoted to the work of God. Now, I love the work of God. I love to do that. But it's true that my family takes some of my time. And I think I'm honoring God by investing in my family. I don't abandon God to do that. But if I weren't married, I had more time for like, walking the earth like Jesus did. You know, I could like preach more, teach more and feed the poor more, maybe flip some tables if I had the time. Um, and again, he's not commanding Christians not to get married. He's saying, if you don't, that's, that's okay. Singleness is okay. It's a gift. If we go back to this verse in six and seven, he calls being married and being single a gift. We are gifted for one or the other. Super interesting. Some people have been called to get married, gifted to be married. Some people are gifted with singleness. And we cannot neglect the gift of singleness. I had a professor in college. Uh, her name was Kathleen Terignoli. And she was this spunky old lady who had never married. And I actually don't know if she like wanted to be married someday. So I shouldn't maybe use her as, as, as an example of like the gift of singleness. But I saw her live a, an enriching life single. She was gifted for it, whether she, you know, maybe she didn't want it to be that way or not, but she was gifted for it. She, she thrived through it. We can't talk about marriage like it's the only option in the church or like singleness is putting people in a holding pattern for marriage because singleness is a gift. Like marriage is not the only possible outcome for people. Some people stay single and they've been gifted to do that. Singleness is a gift. All right, can we talk about modesty a little bit? I think this is uh, another minefield of a topic. Uh, it can have a lot of baggage for people, and maybe not for you, uh, but for some of the older people in the room, I think maybe there can be some baggage around this um, because everybody has an extreme opinion on, on how we should process modesty, especially if you look at the internet discourse. If you can call Twitter internet discourse, it seems a little generous. But uh, you can see people, mostly in my generation, say like, you know, we've been oppressed and we've made, been made to feel shame about our bodies, which is not untrue. Uh, and then you may be, hear people from a different generation say that like modesty is not old fashioned. It's biblical. Also true. Like everybody's got good points around here. Um, so let's, let me suggest some ideas and some biblical wisdom I think we can apply here. 
First of all, um, I don't think that guys and girls need separate discussions. I don't think we need to say, girls cover up, guys bounce your eyes. Um, I think both of those commands are important for both of our genders. Like we both need those two things, um, regardless of your gender. So the typical two sides of the equation that I see are, are more about like a person dressing a certain way and a person looking at them a certain way. So we've got like the outfit wearer and the outfit looker. Um, I want to talk about both. So when you choose your clothes, the outfit wearer, um, ask yourself some questions. What am I trying to say with my outfit? Because we're all trying to say something, how we express ourselves. Um, all kinds of different things. Here's uh, some, some wisdom um, in 1 Timothy. And I want women, again, he's, he's guiding churches. He's, he's coaching churches. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent, and I don't think this is just for women, hello. Um, they should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothing. If with your outfit, what are you trying to say? If you're trying to say, I have a lot of money and power and I'm much cooler than you, you might have a problem. This person would say you're not doing it right. Um, I know there are legitimate reasons to look nice. Like, but the problem is you can become obsessed with looking nice. You can become obsessed with making people look at you. And you can have an unhealthy relationship with attention and with your looks. Um, whether you want to impress people by the way you dress, or if you want to attract a romantic partner with your looks. Uh, we all do that to some degree, I want to say. And it can be healthy, I also want to say. Um, keep taking a shower. Because people, like, people will like you less if you stink. It's just the truth. So, so keep taking a shower. But if you focus on how does my outfit look to other people, if you focus on how can I get other people to look at me, you're on a bad path. It can become super unhealthy. And your entire style, your entire identity can be wrapped up in getting attention as super unhealthy. Here's another thought in Romans. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So yes, we all have a personal responsibility to follow God's plan. We talk about that a lot, right? We have a, a personal responsibility to, to pursue God, to not let anything distract us from God. And we're going to talk about, you know, like the outfit looker here in a second. But also you have a responsibility to protect other people. Like you have a responsibility in how you present yourself. So like if your clothes might cause someone else to lust and think sexual thoughts, you have to respond and, and adjust that. Um, this especially applies if you're doing it on purpose. Like that's a huge problem. This would be like a woman wearing something like low cut or like very short to show off her body, hoping, you know, the guy that she, trying to get the attention of the guy she's interested in. Or like the same goes for a guy who posts his abs in an Instagram story. I don't know what that's like, but like the post, hoping that their, like their crush will like send them a little heart or something. Um, none of that is cool. Inviting people to lust after you is not cool. And, and the Bible prohibits it and says it's bad. We have, to, we have a responsibility to protect one another. Now, that's if you're doing it on purpose. This also applies, like, if you're not doing it on purpose, um, what you're wearing might be the most comfortable outfit you own. You might like the color. You might like the shape. You might like the price might have been perfect. Um, even if your intention isn't getting attention, you have to be aware of how people see you. You have to be aware of that and, and what, the, you know, the vibes you're putting on. Even if you're not doing it on purpose, you have to be aware of it. Um, now, as a warning, 
this can be taken too far. Like this can go too far because I know people, um, they don't need much if their goal is lust. <laughs> they don't need much to work with. Girls get cat called in their puffy coats and guys get drooled over in a full suit. Like you don't need to, you don't need much. Um, and it can be a lot of pressure to like figure out, am I going to be sexualized in this or this or this outfit? Um, that's not what this is about. So don't get caught up in, in those details. Um, but we still have to be aware of how we're dressing. We do have to be aware of that. Uh, and consider people and consider them out of love, not out of a sense of like they get to control what I wear, but out of a sense of love. We love other people. So we don't want them to stumble and fall. So we have a responsibility. People have a personal responsibility to do the right thing. And we have a part to play in protecting them as well. So that's the responsibility of the outfit wearer. What about the looker? Now, the Bible tells the outfit wearer, you have to keep other people in mind. And the Bible tells the outfit looker, pop out your eyeball. Did you catch the difference in severity there? <laughs> Be careful what you wear versus gouge out your eye. So this is a teaching from Jesus in Matthew. He says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. We've talked about adultery in here throughout this series, right? It's a sin to engage in, in sexual expression outside of marriage. Jesus is quoting the 10 commandments here. But I say, he's about to take this commandment to the next level, right? You've heard it said, but I say. This is like a common thing that rabbis, that teachers would do at the time. You've heard this, but this. He's about to take it to the next level. It's not just about committing adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, this is not just for the gentleman. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. In other words, bounce your eyes. Do you guys know about bounce your eyes? I don't, I don't even remember where I heard this, so I wasn't sure if it was universal. Um, this is what I was taught to do when I, you know, I'm walking down the street and see something that I shouldn't see. Did you see that? Did you see that move? Here, I'll do it again. It's an important move. You got to learn it. Bounce your eyes. I don't think Jesus is advocating for us to keep spoons in the back of our church chairs so that we can, in a moment of repentance at the altar. Um, I think he's exaggerating, but he's exaggerating to make a point. He's showing us how important this is. Um, lusting after a stranger is how it starts. Like, people don't find themselves uh, having sex outside of marriage all at once, just, I don't know, it was out of nowhere. That doesn't, that's not how it happens. Like, it's a road made of many decisions, and the road starts with a lustful glance. Ladies and gentlemen, bounce your eyes. Uh, again, we mentioned that the wearer of the outfit should be mindful, consider the people around them in love. Um, but Jesus does not excuse the looker. So bounce your eyes. Let's get to somebody's question. How do you decline someone who won't stop asking you out? I wanted to talk about breaking up, so um, this is a good jumping off point. Here's my answer. With gentleness and firm boundaries. You could say grace and truth. Um, the gentleness part is that you don't have to be mean to somebody. Um, you don't have to make fun of them and gossip about them and just like, you know, call them names. If they want to date you and you don't want to date them, just like kindly let them know you're not interested. Now the firm boundaries part comes in if they 
won't leave you alone. Like if they don't take your no as a no, they continue to make moves after you've rejected them. Uh, there is a point, and I don't think you should wait to find the, to go after the point, but there's a point where you need to get an adult involved and, and say, because like, right, we're on the, the line of like stalking or harassment. So like, this is important stuff that you shouldn't mess with. And if somebody is, is badgering you with this, you need to tell somebody quickly so that they can help you assess the threat. And, and you know, that's never okay. You are entitled to your no. You're entitled to say that. And uh, people have to respect that. So you have the right to have firm boundaries. And you can continue to have firm boundaries and be gentle with people. Here's something I wanted to talk about with breaking up. Uh, because sometimes we have a great time in a relationship for a while. Because they're a Jesus follower. They have, uh, we, we've consulted our list of you know, must-haves and, and deal breakers, and they're all good. Um, but you can spend some time with them and then you get into like the preferences and nuance of dating and you're like, you know what? I'm just not really into them anymore. And you break up. This is another opportunity to be a jerk. Um, but you can break up with gentleness and firm boundaries. You don't have to be best friends with them afterwards. Um, but you also don't have to like harbor bad feelings about somebody. Um, I know people that like, you say their ex's name years later and they like snarl. I'm like, why? Come on. <laughs> like you can be cool with people. Uh, like the ultimate goal should be forgiveness. It ain't that serious. Um, you can do that like gentleness and from boundaries, grace and truth. Paul wrote about this in a way. He wasn't talking about like romantic relationships, but I think this goes for all of our relationships. In Romans 12, he said, never pay back evil with more evil. Even if like they did you wrong, we broke up because you cheated or because they did something horrible. The ultimate goal is forgiveness. So here, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. You don't have to go scorched earth on this person that hurt you. Just be cool about it. Gentleness and firm boundaries uh, make peace and forgiveness your goals. Okay, dating and romance into sexual integrity. Um, the biggest thing I wanted to talk about here, and we almost had like a two-hour sermon that night because I wanted to talk about pornography, and I just didn't have time. Remember the definition of sexual integrity that we talked about, right? Doing the right thing even when the wrong thing is easier in your sexual expression. And the right thing for our sexual expression, as defined by Paul, is that sexual expression, all sexually intimate acts, all of that, are reserved for a biblical marriage. That would mean that pornography would be outside of a biblical marriage. It's a type of sexual expression with pictures or videos uh, or whatever of other people's sexual expression. Some people would call that categorically different than you expressing your sexuality with someone else. Um, like, it's different than cheating on your wife. It's different than premarital sex. I'm here to tell you it's just not that different. <laughs> like, sex, all of the sex stuff is wrapped up together. It's not that different. Uh, it's a sexual expression outside of the confines of marriage, and it's outside of God's plan, and there's always pain outside God's plan. That's how it works. When your parents were kids, um, cell phones, and the internet were not, they were pretty, like a non-factor pretty much. Um, so people still had porn problems, but it was much harder to get a hold of pornography. So for some people, it was a non-issue because they had no access. Uh, for most of you in the room, that has completely changed. Many of you have unfettered access to the entire internet. <laughs> you can go on any website you want, whenever you want. 
Now, some of your parents have put like filters on the family internet or limitations on your device or restrictions on how often you can use your phone or whatever. But still, pornography is more accessible now than it ever has been in the history of the world. And that's why it's important for us to talk about and address even in church. Um, pornography is poison to the brain. It's poisonous to your sexual expression someday. Remember that God created sex and it's a beautiful thing within the right context, but pornography takes that beautiful thing and it's a perversion of it. It's a, it's a, it's a perversion of something that God made good. It's, it's poison. It's tainted. It's wrong. It's a poison that changes the way we view sex. Um, someone exposed to a lot of pornography, they start to expect sex to be really like the stuff they watch online. And the problem is that like, Porn depicts sex in a way that is not reality. It's, it's like similar to if you spend all your time reading romance novels and like, you know, watching Lifetime movies. Your dating is going to be a severe disappointment <laughs> if all you have are the happy endings on TV. Um, it's in the same way. It sets you up for a perverted version of what sex really is. Porn does that to you. It can be devastating. It also poisons the way we view the opposite gender. It poisons the view of personhood. Um, people with porn addiction, addictions will start to see like real life through the lens of pornography. It'll be like constantly on their mind. Um, and it, it will, they'll reduce the opposite gender to nothing but sexual gratification. They are nothing but a sex object. Uh, it strips them of their personhood, which is extremely anti-kingdom of God. That's the opposite of what Jesus did. He took people that people in society have casted out and stripped them of their personhood. And he came back to them and said, you are a person. He restored people's personhoods. That's one of the reasons we know pornography is outside of God's plan because it strips people of that. We were just in this verse a minute ago uh, where Jesus was talking about what we do with our minds. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This goes for people in your everyday life, strangers you see at the beach, and people online as well. This is what I have to say about pornography and what I think biblical wisdom says. Pornography is sexual immorality. In fact, the New Testament, if you don't know, was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word that we translate to sexual immorality and other things like unchastity, fornication, sometimes adultery, that word is pornea, which shares a root with pornography. Fun fact for you. Uh, pornography will mess up your psyche in other ways as well. There's research that correlates pornography use to depression and anxiety, stuff like mental health issues. It can turn into a full-fledged addiction, which will rob you of all your time, energy, and money because all of that goes into your pornography, feeding your addiction. It's outside of God's plan. It's sexual immorality. So that pain is a predictable outcome because there's always pain outside God's plan. Porn is the norm for a lot of people in the world. And uh, it's just another way that the, the Jesus follower sexual ethic is different than the culture sexual ethic. I think that this might be turning a little bit. I'm starting to see more and more like non-Christians say, you know what? Porn might be bad. I'm seeing that more and more. And, uh, and that is a good thing. Um, but our sexual ethic is just going to be different than pop culture. And there are voices that will tell you these things are fine. They're okay, even good. But if it's outside God's plan, they are not good, which is why we study God's plan. Let me clarify one more thing uh, in this section. <clears throat> Somebody asked me this privately last week, so I want to make sure everybody's on the same page um, about rape and sexual harassment and sexual assault. They are detestable things. Um, God forbids them over and over again in Scripture, and he punishes people that did them over and over again in Scripture. But if you have been a victim of rape, harassment, or sexual assault, you have not sinned. 
someone has defiled you and sinned against you and that was not your fault and God does not hold that against you and you have nothing to be forgiven for and I just wanted to make that crystal clear for everybody in the room. Let's finish off with uh, the third section. This is some gender identity stuff I wanted to revisit. I had a very smart friend of mine um, listen to the, to the message from last week and give me some feedback because I said, hey, I got a week that I can do some damage control <laughs> and like, you know, come revisit some stuff. So if I should revisit some stuff, what would it be? He gave me some really good feedback. One of the things he suggested was that I make a clarification because last week I talked a lot about gender dysphoria um, and you know, describing how a lot of people dealing with gender dysphoria are dealing with not fitting in. They're asking the same questions we all are uh, and then they turn to transgenderism as a solution to that problem. The thing he suggested that I clarify is that what I'm talking about is called rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's a little different uh, from gender dysphoria. Rapid onset gender dysphoria usually happens at or about puberty. So it happens seemingly overnight, just about all at once, all of a sudden. Um, and somebody might feel like changing their gender all of a sudden, it will help them cope with this distress, with the, the uh, dysphoria that they're feeling. It's socially influenced. That's the big difference between rapid onset gender dysphoria and gender dysphoria is, is it's socially influenced rather than something biological going on. Um, now you should know rapid onset gender dysphoria. We can't throw away everything I said because this version of gender dysphoria is, is most gender dysphoria that we're seeing today. I don't know if you've seen any numbers, but like the LGBTQ plus community numbers are growing incredibly. And this is one of the reasons um, somebody estimated, somebody that I trust estimated like 99.5% is rapid onset gender dysphoria of the like transgender people. This is 99.5. Now, gender dysphoria is still a thing, and those that 0.5% represents real people in real distress. Um, and those people, they start feeling like they're in the wrong body uh, at a very young age, and there's a psychological level to it that's not in rapid onset gender dysphoria. Um, they might have something biological going on as well, a, a, a hormone problem or something like that, as opposed to the socially influenced rapid onset gender dysphoria. Um, because what I spent most of my time on last week was rapid onset gender dysphoria, uh, my very smart friend suggested I make that distinction um, so we know what we're talking about. And again, this is most cases by a landslide, and it's socially influenced. Uh, and he said something really smart about this. He said, you can't fix the inside by changing outside. You can't fix the inside by changing outside, which lines up with everything we've been talking about, right? What gender dysphoria is, is, you know, stuff we all experience on some level. We're all trying to change the outside to fix the inside. We try to wear something or eat something or do something that we think will make us feel better because we're all asking the same questions. Where do I fit in? How can I belong? And again, finding your identity in God is the only solution. Identifying yourself as a son or daughter of the king is the only solution. Anything else is outside of his plan and ends in pain. Speaking of this statement, which I think is really good, you can't fix the inside by changing the outside. Um, one of the most destructive things about the transgenderism movement is the hormone therapy and surgery that I alluded to last week, especially in cases of rapid onset gender dysphoria, because it usually goes away on its own rather quickly, especially when it's treated as an opportunity to root your identity in Christ instead of being celebrated and escalated. And this is why like the hormones and surgery stuff is so destructive to our culture because people are making permanent changes to their body to treat something that could be a, a very temporary distress. 
suggesting these, this path for young people, especially people that are pre-puberty, can, it can make huge permanent changes to their bodies for what might be a moment of distress. And I think, and this is why the church is advocating for dealing with this distress differently. <laughs> it's why we're advocating for a different sexual ethic um, than, than the culture is currently moving. Guiding children in this direction, it can be so destructive and it's dangerous. Now, last week we talked about um, the church's track record on some of these issues and on loving people and uh, stuff that, like going through this stuff, the people that are going through this stuff. I got pretty emotional, so I wanted to revisit it because I got a level head today. Um, I don't want my personal convictions to skew the conversation, and I think I may have done that. Um, I think my, my very smart friend suggested that I may have, it may have come off in a unbalanced way. I think many churches have gotten this wrong, and uh, they've gotten caught up in someone's sexual orientation or their gender dysphoria, their sin. They've gotten caught up in the way that they're not adhering to God's plan, and they've treated them cruelly and without love. I think that has happened. I also think that many churches are safe places for people with issues. I think that that is entirely true. Um, meeting people, people that are churches that are meeting people with grace and truth on this issue. Um, that's the church that Jesus came here to found, the church that Paul was coaching people to create, a place where people with all kinds of issues and challenges can be loved and cared for and supported and challenged and held accountable. That's what I want for our church. Uh, and I think many churches are getting that well. There's this cultural narrative that the church is full of hate. And while I've seen people handle things with less love than I'd like to see, um, we don't need to treat this as the whole story because it's not the whole story. We need to hold people accountable when they're wrong, but we don't need to put the church down unfairly. When it's fair, we do it. But when it's not, we stop. So let's fight the stereotype together. That's what we need to do. We need to prove people wrong that, have a, uh, that think a certain thing about the church or about Christians. Prove people wrong. Commit to being Jesus followers that follow his example of love and grace and truth. I wanted to revisit this because I, what I don't want you to think is churches always mess this up. We might as well dump the church. We don't need it. Um, I want to challenge Jesus followers and churches to do this right, but I recognize it's happening. And, and I think this room is an example. We can all get there together. Um, and I don't want to let, my, like, let the negative get all of my attention. Um, because I know people do this well, and I have hope for the future and the, 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 the modern church. I think we can do this. I want to end with a question somebody suggested that um, will guide our conversation. This question can be taken a million different directions. How can we help those who reject God as the truth? And uh, I want to answer in the context of what we've been talking about. How do I do this, help people with grace and truth. Um, I'm not going to get as practical as I think you'd like, but you'll have an opportunity in your small groups, which you'll have a few minutes at. Um, how do I show people love and let them know what I believe? These are really important questions. This is something to remember. Uh, people have been burned in this area. People have been hurt. Again, people are doing it right, and I have hope for the modern church. But people, we cannot be dismissive of people's stories and experiences. Um, this is another place I like to lead with curiosity. So I like to ask people questions, uh, a lot of questions about this issue. What do you think about this issue? Whether it be homosexuality, transgenderism, sex before marriage, whatever the thing is. What do you think about this issue? How do you think the church thinks about this issue? Because sometimes they don't even get that right. What makes you think you're right about this issue? Have you lost any friends over this issue? How have you experienced pain around this issue? Asking questions like this um, not only helps you understand the context of their story and their life, but it helps you develop true sympathy for people when you hear their stories. 
especially people that get really angry about something, usually that anger is coming from pain. Like that's coming from a past experience where they were hurt. I might also, uh, it might help you to think about the person separate from their unrighteousness. People have said, hate the sin, love the sinner. And I think that's true, but I think it's really, really hard. Um, And last week I said, they're not evil, they're lost. And I think this is a helpful way for us to distinguish the sin problem and the people that Jesus died for. He died for people despite their sin. He died for you and me despite our sin. Romans 5, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We don't have to get all fixed up and then come to Jesus. We come to Jesus and let him do the fixing. Your sin is not better or worse than their sin. So keep that in mind when you're talking to people. They don't deny God because they're evil. They deny God because they're deceived. They're sick with sin is one of the ways that Jesus uh, likens it to. They're lost. So let's get really practical. Um, You don't need to confront somebody every time you get the chance. If you're out looking for a fight, inviting conflict, that's not how Jesus did that. He waited for the right opportunity. He asked questions. The guy who knew everything asked questions. He showed grace and truth at the same time. You don't need to confront every person that challenges your beliefs. Have you seen the internet? Who has the time? Uh, If a stranger says something disparaging about God or about your beliefs, it might not be the right time to engage. I've found though, that my close friends are very open to my pushback. They're very open to having a conversation about that. Somebody told me a story recently about uh, confronting their friends on an issue and they were receptive, even though they took a risk by confronting them. Um, Especially helpful in a one-on-one situation. So like where people don't have to worry about what other people are thinking, like if we can get it to just you and me, you can experience what I have to say. There's no distractions or complications. So these are just two things that might help you. These are the opportunities. Might help in your opportunity to give people truth, confront and and push back, relationship and privacy. Those things might help you. That being said, even with all the relationship and privacy in the world, you are going to be misunderstood. People will talk about you behind your back. They will assume things about you, uh, about these issues. And people in this room have experienced that. And all you can do is prove them wrong. All you can do is stand on God's truth and show people God's grace and love. Jesus came to earth to usher in his kingdom. He came to reveal a new plan, this plan that we've been talking about. He showed us that outside of that plan, there is pain. There's always pain outside God's plan. He taught us to conduct, he taught us how to conduct ourselves, how to interact with other people. And by doing that, by changing the plan, by revealing his plan, he changed the world. He turned a culture on its head. He subverted expectations. He changed the world. If you need proof of that, we're still talking about it today, which is pretty exceptional. Jesus revealed a new culture, a new ethic, and he taught us how to follow him. And if we follow him, we'll have a blessed life. That's what he he promised us. Not a perfect or painless life, but a blessed life. So even when people challenge what you believe, even when they betray you or stab you in the back, keep following his plan because there's always pain outside of God's plan. But there's always blessing within it. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word, for what we can learn from it, for your wisdom that you have passed down to us thousands of years later. That we can can take very contemporary issues, very modern issues, and run them through your wisdom, and we can learn, and we can uh, have answers. And so I'm so thankful that we have that wisdom today. God, I ask that you would help us to lead with grace and truth, 
to stand on your truth and to show people your love and grace in these issues. God, thank you for that opportunity. In our small groups, God, I ask that you would give us great conversation. Help us to learn a little bit about, uh, a little more about how to apply this stuff practically and uh, to get closer together. We love you. We dedicate all of this to you. It's in your precious name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.